The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I agree with that. The music in that movie is awesome. That movie doesn't need to exist and it can burn in hell. (laughs) Welcome to Recotopia. A happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Merry Christmas. Well, as a matter of fact, I was rather hurt that night you stood me up. I don't blame you. It was unforgivable. I forgive you. Well, you shouldn't. You couldn't help yourself. I mean, when you're having a drink with one man, you can't suddenly walk out on him because you're having another date with another man. You did the only decent thing. I wouldn't be too sure. Just because I wear a uniform, that doesn't make me a Girl Scout. Miss Kublik, one doesn't get to be a second administrative assistant around here unless he's a pretty good judge of character. And as far as I'm concerned, you're tops. I mean, decency-wise and... Otherwise, wise. <laughs> Cheers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 94 of Recotopia. I am Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. And this week's big recommend is 1960's The Apartment, starring Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemon. Hello, mm-hmm. and special shout out to our live viewers in the chat who will hopefully correct our mistakes and gently rib us for things we get wrong. And uh, before we get into the big recommend, we always like to start with a couple of wee, tiny, small recommends. Aaron, what do you have for us this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Uh, A couple more awards contenders. These are both big contenders. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of these be nominated for Best Picture, and deservedly so, in my opinion. Um, both of them are out in limited release, so you might have access to go see this at the theater. If not, it will probably go wider uh, soon. So we are going to start with Poor Things. Uh, this is Emma Stone, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, who has made some of my least favorite movies of all time. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's the truth. What can I, I say? I kind of agree. <laughs> Uh, but this one is different and hit me a lot different. Now, is the weirdness there? Yes. Is the uh, over-the-top uh, dregs of humanity there? Yes. But this movie seems to be saying something, to me at least, a little bit more about what it means to be human and about why it's important we understand the practicality and the um, disgustingness and the interestingness and the intricacies of what it means to be a human being. Um, just to give a broad general sense of what's going on here, Emma Stone plays the reanimated uh, corpse of a woman who has jumped off of a bridge okay. uh, that is then sent out into the world to explore and figure out what the world means. Um, and the practicality with which this uh, character, Frankenstein's monster-esque character, approaches the world is some of the funniest and most interesting things I have ever seen. Emma Stone is so good in this role. Um, I will say the movie and Emma are not shy about uh, going to places that you would not think this movie would go, whether it be the, the sexuality, the nudity, the violence, the whatever. This movie is like, we are exploring this person's understanding of what it means to be human. And uh, I just, I think it's a spectacular film. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I recommend Poor Things with the caveat of it's Yorgos. So, you know, go in knowing that it's, that it's Yorgos Lanthimos. Go in and- knowing you're probably going to see 
a hybrid animal masturbating <laughs> onto a grave <laughs> while someone laughs. You know, um, Jeremy, I didn't know you had seen the movie. If I'd known you had seen the movie, we could have had a different conversation. Um, uh, I have not. I, I both applaud Emma Stone's current career choices mm -hmm. and am excited for the next phase because she's really enjoying making these not approachable for everyone movies like mm -hmm. with this guy this is like her second movie with him right and then she's made this show with that guy whose humor is weird <laughs> the curse is the name of the show yes <laughs> and nathan that, fielder is the name of the guy whose humor is weird <laughs> that looks wildly unconventional mm -hmm. um but I appreciate that she's doing whatever she wants. Um, I haven't seen all the things I just named. I've only seen the the favorite of all those things I just talked about. Um, mm -hmm. And that's probably the most enjoyable Yorgos movie for me. Uh, so I will probably check this out at some point. And uh, yeah. I would say it's 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 much more similar to the favorite in the way it it views the world than say killing of the sacred deer or the lobster or you know some of these others. So um, I think I. Th think you're gonna vibe at least with parts of it and i think there are other parts of it you'll probably go what am i watching yeah so yeah. sounds about right sounds about right um all right my first small recommend this week is a movie from last year uh it's a christmas musical called spirited starring ryan reynolds and will ferrell this is a 71 on rotten tomatoes and i think that is nearly perfect Mm. I think it's better than a 71, but that should surprise no one. <laughs> well, uh, listen, I'm going to tell you why and what I think would make it perfect, and you're going to disagree with me completely. Oh, okay. This is a two-hour and seven-minute seven movie that's crying to be an hour and a half. You want to know what makes up that 37 extra minutes? Average songs sung by average singers doing average clunky dances. I think that's the charm, though. This does not need to be a musical. Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell have enough charm. We don't. And if you're going to make it a musical, give me more than one song that I think is actually decent. There's sure. That, that good sure. afternoon song is really, really fun. Really good. Yeah. But that finale, do a little good. That's a fine song. But these two are front and center dancing like trees <laughs> why do you make a musical and hire people who are not singers and dancers it makes no sense to me either kill the musical aspect or hire people that can really pull off the song and dance other than that all of the non-musical stuff i thought was really fresh a really fun twist on the ebenezer scrooge story um and, and talk about a story that's hard to do a fresh take on i mean how many times has this story been told exactly and this is this is I was really enjoying, I did really enjoy the fresh look at this. I love the side characters, the ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come, voiced by Tracy Morgan, uh, the gal who is, did I close that? No, I didn't. Uh, Shunita Mani plays the ghost of Christmas past. She's freaking hilarious. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a lot of fun. I just thought it was a little bloated. And I thought a lot of the musical numbers were not good. And there's even one song they do a complete callback to where they basically sing the song again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this song wasn't good the first time. Anyway, <laughs> I still recommend the movie. My wife adores Christmas. She's obsessed with Christmas. If there's anyone in your life that, <laughs> yes, I am recommending this, <laughs> loves Christmas, I think uh, you should watch this with them and you will enjoy it. Uh, it is to me uh, a B minus movie, B movie could be an A or an A plus uh, if it was executed a little differently for my personal tastes. For sure. people like Aaron, it's probably good as is. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's okay. Uh, unredeemable. Funny. Uh, the movie is not unredeemable. I just thought the songs were, but I enjoyed the movie. There you go. <laughs> what they need to do is put out a DVD and make two edits of the movie. The musical version and the non-musical version. Because right now, we've got movies that are coming out in theaters soon that are musicals and the trailers are hiding the fact that they're musicals. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fascinating mm -hmm. conversation. We will have another another day. Um, I do recommend Spirited. It's on Apple TV Plus Plus whatever they call that. <laughs> it's just um, Apple TV Plus, yeah. And uh, it, it's Christmas. -y. It's kind of a little like a wreck of worn, but you might like the music more than I did. I just mm. I just want really good songs out of my musicals, and I thought compared to something like La La Land, all, the, all those songs were, were outstanding. Oh, um, for sure. So here we're, we're painting by numbers a little bit with some of these songs. Basic but, and Paul. 
Great concept. Um, I'm going to shut up now. <clears throat> Uh, you bring up something, I'm going to check this because it has been a while, but you, you bring up something that is interesting to me because I believe the same people who wrote La La Land wrote the music in Spirited. I believe it's Pasek and Paul. I could be wrong about this and I, I really should fucking awesome. Uh, I really should, uh, do a double, maybe the chat can do a double check on me so I can keep talking about this. But, um, but those, I really like the songs in this. So it's surprising to me that you think that they're. Uh, like uh, there are a couple amazing songs in this and then everything else is really good like at least passable did you think any of the songs were bad like you're listening to them and just like oh this is terrible not no no okay i, I, I think the biggest crime of any of the songs is being average i don't think any of them are bad i just <sighs> look yeah. we're talk, you're gonna go up against movies like the Muppet Christmas Carol. You got to bring <laughs> sure, it. If sure, sure. No, I strong. get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, a quick Google while you were chatting. Pasek and Paul did do the uh, write the music for this. So it's the same people who wrote La La Land uh, that that wrote this. And I think they're super super talented. They also were the best thing about. Again, I'm going to go by memory here. So forgive me if I'm wrong. They're the best thing about the Greatest Showman. The music in the Greatest Showman is amazing. But it's because I agree with that. Pasek and Paul, you know, uh, wrote it. So um, I agree with that. The music in that movie is awesome. That movie doesn't need to exist, and it can burn in hell. <laughs> but not this movie. This movie is uh, is not a wreck of warn. It is a wreck of warm. It is a wreck of warm. Just warm um, feelings. I, uh, for this I movie. can't believe that I picked a movie to compare the songs against, and those songs were written <laughs> by the same goddamn people. <laughs> So I, I mean, doesn't matter if people agree with my opinion on the songs. Now I still look like an ass. I didn't know that. <laughs> All right, Aaron, give us. Let's get the topic going somewhere different. Fair enough. American fiction uh, is another big uh, contender for the Oscars this year, and deservedly so. Jeffrey Wright is at the center of this. This is. <sighs> I almost don't want to explain much of the plot here because from my understanding of the trailers to this, which I didn't watch before uh, watching it, actually still haven't seen, is that they lead you to believe this is a different kind of movie than it actually is. And that switcheroo is actually the point and theme of this movie. So I find that to be really intelligent, really interesting. Um, it has an incredible cast, Jeffrey Wright, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown is in this as well, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross uh, doing some good work too. And I'll just say this, it is about the black experience in America and how wide and varied that experience is and how you would never know that by watching pop culture. That is the the general sense of what's going on here. Cord Jefferson is a first-time director wow. directing this, and I think he absolutely hit it out of the park. I was privileged enough to see a panel, uh, be in person for a panel with this cast, and to hear Jeffrey Wright talk about what this movie means to him and how it felt like his story wow. in some ways and his experience in Hollywood and the idea of what does it mean to be black enough um, is just, uh, it's just really interesting. And I just, I can't quit thinking about this movie. This will be competing for my favorite movie of the year. Uh, wow. I absolutely love this film. So wow. there you go. That is American fiction. Okay. The same guys wrote the songs on both movies, Aaron. <laughs> we had moved on, Jeremy. You're All the right. one that brought it back up. All right. Um, uh, I'm actually going with movies for both of my small recommends this week. Sorry, food and drink lovers. Um, I'll hit you next week with something. Uh, but uh, I recently managed to watch uh, Joyride, a 2023 um, road trip comedy. Not to be confused kind with of, the yeah. Candy Cane Joyride movie. Um, <laughs> this is about uh, a Chinese gal adopted by white parents who lives in Seattle. and She works at a law firm and she is promised a partner if she can close a big deal with a big Chinese businessman. So she and her friend take a trip to China, uh, meet up with her friend's cousin, uh, and it becomes this madcap comedy romp. Have you seen this movie, Aaron? I have. Yes, okay. I have. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of culture here uh, that that is new for me. Um, Chinese culture, Korean culture, um, <clears throat> and... Um, there's a lot of like I didn't know this was R-rated when I started watching it, but it goes to a place in the R-rated sense that 
I was shocked by and also laughing at hysterically. And there's a scene in here where they're trying to get to Korea and to do it, they pretend to be a, a K-pop band <laughs> and they do a big song and dance. I don't really want to spoil this movie any more than that. Um, I had a lot of fun watching it and laughing. Uh, it's kind of raunchy. Um, and it's very watch- raunchy. It is definitely a raunch com for sure. <laughs> um, you can watch it on, uh, what is the S logo? What is that service? Stars. It's on stars. So if you have a premium subscription at Hulu, YouTube, or Roku, Amazon, you get stars through that. You can watch that movie that way. Joyride, super raunchy. I really enjoyed it. So there you go. That's my second small recommend. Super funny. Uh, you will laugh a lot. It definitely, uh, is, you know, think of how what raunchcoms are. This is this hits all of those beats. Um, you know, uh, ridiculous sexual situations. You know, insane yes. nudity. Uh, like you know, it just it hits the beats of a movie uh, like this. But it does it. My memory of it, and it has been a, it has been a second. But my memory of it is that it is creative about those moments as well. So it's not just uh, you know the typical things that you might see it's definitely there's some things that it's doing creative i wish it was a little more creative with its structure it's its structure is very straightforward oh yeah but that's fine because it's hilarious and it's fun and you're gonna have a good time but yeah all right folks it's time for the big recommend which is also one of my favorite bare naked lady songs the old (laughs) apartment oh wait i'm sorry the apartment take it away aaron i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Uh, we're going back to 1960 for Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Um, the very first human to ever be nominated for Best Picture, Best Screen, or to win, excuse me, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay at the same Oscars was this movie. Uh, we start, uh, with the credits at the front because this movie is old. Uh, so we get all the credits out of the way, uh, right away. Then we get into some narration from Jack Lemmon, uh, about his insurance job in New York city and what all that entails. His name is CC Baxter. Most people just call him bud. He is teaching us about the massive humanity that he works with. He tells us he stays late. The reason because his apartment is being used by a variety of his co-workers. Uh, we find out he lets his co-workers carry on their affairs there. Uh, and when we say affairs, we mean specifically marital affairs. Uh, we quickly get the sense that he is being taken advantage of, that he is a poor schmuck, that he is one of those movie characters that uh, will do anything to be liked by his co-workers or possibly get ahead at work. Um, and we also get quickly get the sense that every single man in New York City cheats on their wife. Uh, he uh, gets kicked out of his own house that first night in the middle of the night so some guy can sleep with a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. And that's kind of uh, how things go for our friend Bud. Uh, next day, because he didn't get any sleep, he's tired and sick and he heads back to work where we meet Fran. Fran is played by Shirley MacLaine. Uh, she is an elevator operator. This this is one of those things in the past. Like I never experienced it was before my time. But when elevators started, they literally had to have drivers of the elevators. They didn't let people pick their own floors. Or it may have been like a um, a courtesy thing as well. Uh, you know, to have people in there to take you to your floors or whatever. But she is one of those, and they have a cute little conversation in the elevator and we find out that Fran is somebody that pretty much everybody in the office has a crush on and why wouldn't they she's adorable uh he gets called up by his main boss Sheldrake uh is his name Mr. Sheldrake played by Fred McMurray um who I know is you know from the Nutty Professor movies and the Shaggy Dog and a lot of the Disney stuff uh he thinks he's getting a promotion by Sheldrake but it turns out Sheldrake has heard about his little apartment thing and wants it all to himself uh so and we do get a sense in this scene how crafty Sheldrake is the way he presents this the way he goes about it the way he admits nothing while admitting everything um it's it's a very interesting tete-a-tete that goes on between them he ends up trading him music man tickets um for use of the apartment that evening 
Um, so Bud now with Music Man tickets invites Fran uh, to go see the Music Man, and she agrees. But she has uh, already set date that she's going to go do first before meeting him at the Music Man, and that someone she is going on a date with is Gunk 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 Sheldrake. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. find out that Sheldrake, she's been having, uh, he's been having an affair with her. Uh, for a while, and we hear a conversation about that maybe this was a thing that happened over a summer, and now he's trying to reignite it. There's already been uh, I can't divorce my wife conversation in the past, and now he's trying to get back with her. And he's saying, you know, I just, you know, I, I promise I'll, you know, get rid of my wife. I'll divorce my wife. You know, those kind of things. Uh, Bud is then uh, left alone at the Music Man. She never shows up. Uh, we also note in this segment that when uh, they are out together, that his secretary spots them together, and this becomes uh, key important information later on. Um, so we then hit a Christmas party, which I uh, learned in the trivia was actually shot on December 23rd, so that everybody was actually in the holiday mood, uh, which I thought was funny. This is a Christmas Speaking movie, apparently. <laughs> Uh, so now this is one of my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, so we hit a Christmas party and Fran further finds out how she's just in a long line of Sheldrake affair. She finds this out from the secretary who is drunk and spills the long list of other women that Sheldrake has had affairs with and the line that, that she has been in. Um, and we also find out that there was a compact, uh, with a cracked mirror that was left at the apartment. So Bud gives that back to Sheldrake and, uh, he says, oh yes, uh, this was cracked because she threw it at me and says some very demeaning and dismissive things, uh, about the woman who threw it at him. Uh, and so he returns that to Sheldrake. Bud and Fran then start chatting again, and it turns out they seem to be getting along real well. And he's trying, he has this new bowler hat that he's trying to, you know, figure out how it works, how it looks on him. So she offers him her gunk, 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 broken compact. And now Bud knows who the woman is at his apartment, and he is aware of that information. And happy Bud turns very quickly into sad Bud. Uh, uh, and that character shift leads us to the next section of the movie. Um, Fran and Sheldrake are breaking up at the apartment, and Fran doesn't want to leave with the idiot slash jerk slash moron. Uh, so she stays and puts on a record and retires. Meanwhile, Bud has been out drinking and accidentally picks someone up for the evening, uh, who he brings back to his apartment only to find out that Fran took all of his sleeping pills in an attempt to take her own life, and the mood shifts again as Bud finds a uh, what he assumes is a suicide note and hides that as well. And it's a really interesting transition the movie is making because it's still playing comedy, there's still an upbeat record that's going, there's this very serious thing that has possibly happened. Uh, and at this point, uh, I'm watching this with my wife, and my wife turned to me and is like, is she dead? Like, literally, are we, is this where we're going? Like, is this going to become a murder mystery of, you know, some sort? Uh, and the movie kind of shifts into those things. We find out quickly she's not dead but needs help, so he goes and gets a doctor. The doctor comes over. There's a funny little side thing with the doctor where the doctor hears all these things going on at the apartment and assumes it's all Bud. So he mm-hmm. thinks Bud is having sex three times a day and, you know, all of the time and worries for his health and wants to donate his body to science. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the doctor comes over and um, we get a look into the terrible, terrible medical practices of the 1960s where to bring people back, you do smelling salts and just slap them across the face several oh, times. <laughs> bunch uh and then they walk around a lot uh they get her up and moving i think he pumps her stomach uh gets you know as much of the pills out of there as he can and she is going to take a few days to recover there at the apartment um and we get uh in this as well uh, a very uh, depressing christmas conversation with sheldrake that bud has where you get sense even further and further that Bud is just taking all of the flack and Sheldrake is just happy to like the amount of, of lack of empathy or care that Sheldrake has for this woman who just tried to take her own life uh, is astonishing. And so the movie is 
even clearer and clearer painting kind of our characters uh, through this moment. So then we go into recuperation mode. Uh, he takes care of her, and we find out the suicide note was actually just the $100 bill that Sheldrake left her as a quote-unquote Christmas gift, and uh, that's what that was, but continues to take care of her and keep keeping her from doing anything further serious. Um, he's protecting her. Um, meanwhile, Sheldrake's secretary is fired because Sheldrake finds out from Fran that she knows about this long list of people and that she found out from the secretary. So he fires the secretary and then uh, the secretary on her way out decides to throw a grenade and sets up a lunch meeting with Sheldrake's wife. I'll tell you what, it's a shame we never get to see that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, uh, that's a that's a, a sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen right there. Like hiring uh -huh. yes. the secretary that you slept with and dumped. Like, I'm yeah, probably not in 1960, but I was going to uh, say, you know, there's a welcome to the 60s aspect to a lot of these things that you, you know, which the movie is pointing out, which I really appreciate in the 60s. This movie is saying, look, look at this mirror. Look at yourself, society. Look at who you are and what you're doing, which is uh, really, really interesting. Um, so the closest we get to seeing that meeting is Sheldrick t uh, telling Bud uh, that he's been fired by his wife after he fired his secretary. Uh, so we do hear that and find out that they are splitting. And now Bud once again takes the bullet for Sheldrake for whatever reason and, uh, and tells Fran, someone who he clearly cares about, that, uh, that it must be that he's divorcing because he actually wants to be with her and those kind of things. Oh, mess. Uh, Sheldrick and Fran are then doing New Year's at a restaurant where she finds out that Bud stood up to Sheldrake. Uh, uh, oh, I'm, I skipped a part here. We're back at the office. Sheldrake has this new assistant's office right, or I'm sorry, Bud has this new assistant's office right next to Sheldrake. And so he is, um, he is telling him you know, that, that, that he wants the key again because he wants to do it. And Bud grows a backbone and basically says no. And then the guy tells him, well, you know th that I can have you put down as much as I brought you up. I can take you back down. So he hands him a key, goes to the other room. We find out that key was the key to the executive washroom. And that's because he doesn't need it anymore because he did find his backbone and he walks out a free man. Uh, so then we see Sheldrake and Fran at, an, at doing New Year's at a restaurant, and she finds out about that story. Um, Bud stood up to Sheldrake, and Sheldrake presents it as almost like, what's he have against you that he won't allow you to use the apartment, not realizing <laughs> it's what he has against him because the guy's so oblivious. So she then, we see her running to the apartment just in time to hear what she thinks is a gunshot, which she worries about, but it was just him opening some champagne for reasons i guess uh they then play some gin he says i love you and she says shut up and deal and classic wise this continues to be one of the best things i've ever seen movie wise uh jeremy what did you think about the apartment i'm going to lavish a bunch of praise on this movie nice i think it's fantastic i want to watch it two or three more times because i had a very strange experience uh, and I'm going to tell you about my experience. Please do. I'd never seen this movie. I assumed going in that this was going to be straight-up comedy. Mm. And I am given, in the first several minutes, the information that there are four separate, separate executives <laughs> grooming women in this one guy's apartment. And then I see him get a crush on a girl, and I am expecting... A full-on slamming door farce. I'm expecting mm -hmm. a, right. a masterpiece of a Frasier episode where he's hiding people in one room so they don't meet the other people and then almost getting caught all the time. And it is not that at all. After about 30 minutes, I was like, I'm not really laughing. I don't want to tell Aaron that I didn't think this was funny. <laughs> and I'm dead serious, by the way. So then yeah. I, I paused it and I Googled it. And it says comedy, romance, drama. And I must have just stopped at comedy when I first mm -hmm. looked at it or, or what. But I had so much trouble adjusting at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Because it's not long after that the movie gets into suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. It's not talking about depression, but it's very clearly about depression. We've got him 
silently taking razor blades out of his cabinet because he's worried she's going to kill herself. She hears the gunshot and worries he's killed himself. This is a heavy-ass movie that Mm -hmm. starts with a comedy premise. I do not ultimately think the four, five, ultimately five executives screwing people in his apartment makes any goddamn sense whatsoever. (laughs) If we were sinning this movie for a, a CinemaSins video, I would spend 10 minutes on that point alone, it makes no sense that they can't find another peon out of the 31,000 people they work for who will also give up the or work with to give who also give up the apartment or buy a cheap hotel room or rent an apartment the five of you share. It's like the arrangement itself is is a sticking point for me because it, it belongs in a different movie for me, it belongs in a comedy. Um, but once the movie once I got over my preconceived notions of what the movie should be, um, I found it excellent. I found it to be a pretty frank and straightforward, you know, example of broken people um, finding each other, finding ways to heal because of each other. Um, so, and, and that's a killer last line uh, because they had played the gin game earlier mm-hmm. and she hadn't really been all that interested in it at the time. And right. uh, it's just great. Uh, I just, my experience had me so off kilter that I don't know I was able to appreciate it the way it should be appreciated. This is partly my fault because I wait until Monday night to watch these things because I want it to be super fresh in my mind. Mm. That doesn't mm-hmm. give me enough time to rewatch. And I think if I put it on again, knowing where it's going to go, I might appreciate more of the first 30 or 35 minutes than I did the first time through waiting for the laughs. I thought it was all set up, and at any minute now, it was just going to all start crashing down, um, and it didn't. <laughs> so I, I, I haven't I, – my experience actually plays into what you're talking about. Uh, I watched this with two people that had never seen it before, um, and both – I was laughing – through much of the first half hour and and throughout and they were having a harder time once a few things happened finding like the laughs so i felt like i was laughing alone at some stuff but it's because i i i knew the balanced tone that the movie is going for that it is trying to be funny while still actually dealing with some serious stuff which by the way is a very modern concept you don't think of a lot of older movies being both comedies and drama this heavily, right? right? It's usually like the, you know, uh, the old Cary Grant comedies or, or whatever. They're just, they're farces, they're comedies. They're, you know, they don't necessarily, I mean, it, it deals with murder, but the murder is kind of the joke. It's not the, you know, um, necessarily uh, real. And this feels more authentic, more real, which is something modern, modern comedies actually try to do a lot. They try to balance that tone a lot. Mm. Um, so to see it in an older comedy like this is a little surprising and a little off putting at first to try to figure it out. Yeah. I, uh, I will always have questions about how that arrangement came to be. I know he tells a story about one day this happened and then it all spiraled. The spiraling (laughs) is the part where I need some more detail. Um, well, I think the idea is because he's, such a such a schmo like he he just gives it to people so they don't have to pay anything for it they don't you know and they don't even really have paying is a promise of promotion and then a promise but they give him a promotion eventually yes yeah um but yeah no he is supposed to be a schlub i loved all the era specific stuff like the elevator girl you talked about um Mm -hmm. because in my mind that even that back then i had it as only for like hotels or apartment buildings not Mm -hmm. like office buildings uh, the fact that they had to stagger that get done at work time so the elevators wouldn't be too overwhelmed mm-hmm. i love that he has a dial on his lampstand to change the channels for his tv or turn the tv <laughs> off holy shit um that can't be a remote there's got to be a wire going from that thing yeah all there the was way to the there TV. was a wire all the way to the tv yeah i thought it was uh hilarious to me that he takes that tv dinner out and within 30 seconds is biting into that chicken. I've had a lot of TV <laughs> dinners, man, and that shit comes out hot. Like that's, that's not as bad as the fact that the doctor gives her hot coffee straight from when it boiled. Straight within from boiling. five seconds of yes. boiling. Yes. <laughs> um, I loved uh, all of the nonverbal concern he had with regard to her suicide. Especially love when he comes back and tries to shave. And I'm thinking... 
gotcha movie. He took those blades out. <laughs> no, the movie knows that, and he remembers that and has to put the blade back in. Uh, I do think I wrote this movie is for anyone who has either been broken while in love or in love with someone who was broken or both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how fast um, this speaks to his character, even before he's learned to stand up to the boss. When he finds her passed out and realizes she's taken the pills, he goes from drunk, ready to screw some girl from the bar to we're going to save this woman's life immediately, mm-hmm. which is oh, not totally plausible in that he had like 11 martinis at the bar i'm not even sure how he was walking but hey sober him up i've um, I've, I've heard adrenaline sobers people up though is that is that not right is that I an think urban legend in short in a short term but he basically sobers up and stays right. sobered up um let's see oh uh she turns the gas stove on but doesn't light it and I'm, i thought that was curious like why wouldn't she know does she I don't know enough about the 60s to know was it did were there electric stoves did she not understand that when she turned it on and there was no flame that something else needed to happen i thought that was a little weird but Mm -hmm. at this point i'm just nitpicking um but uh i really really thought jack lemon was incredible in this uh because it could be a thankless role you look at it on the surface the schmuck who lets everybody I don't know. He just does a lot of subtle work here with his facial expressions. After he gets punched in the face by the brother-in-law, there's like a slight wry smile as he's laying on the ground. Like, what an experience. I just got punched for defending a woman. Like, he, I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of nuance in his performance. There's a not small amount of the exact same thing uh, Defending Your Life is talking about, right? Like the the Albert Brooks character has yes. the exact same thing this character has, where doesn't stand up for himself, you know, doesn't just kind of goes along to get along, like those kind of things. I, I thought those parallels were were pretty interesting as well. Yep. Um, and he does such a good job at maintaining your empathy for that character amongst making some terrible decisions, you know. Um, not the least of which is letting these men cheat on their wives in your apartment. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. these are terrible decisions that you're making. And yet somehow the character, you really get the sense of like, he's not a bad guy. He just doesn't know how to stand up for himself. He doesn't know how to say no, which is why the backbone that he grows at the end is so powerful and so interesting um, because of that transformation yeah. uh, of that character. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, uh, I may have even said this uh, in introducing the movie last week, but I've, I've come to believe that Jack Lemmon is like the perfect combination of Jim Carrey and Cary Grant. He is Jim Carrey Grant. Like he is, you know, it, like he has like some some of that steadiness that Cary Grant has and then some of that malleability that Jim Carrey has. And it just it goes together in a, a really great way to do a comedy and a drama like this. So, mm. yeah. All right. Well, are you ready for the super secret double feature, or do you have? Oh, Jeremy, I am so far from ready. I have so many things I, I still want to talk about with All this right. movie. Well, I have I have exhausted my list of notes, so you take it away, sir. Uh, no, I will. I I won't keep us too long on this stuff. But I did want to say that there are so many subtle, interesting things that Billy Wilder references in here. I think of the TV that you mentioned. Um, he makes an entire media commentary within three minutes of channel changing. Uh, because he, he, and it's, and it feels modern too, because what he's saying is like, oh, we're going to go to the sponsor. So then he tries to find something to watch while they're doing the sponsor and he turns the channel and it's all the same stuff. Western, Western, Western fighting Western. And it's like it, it today that scene would be superhero movie, superhero movie, superhero movie. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's this idea. He's making this comment that like, why is Hollywood always do the exact same thing over and over and over again? And then he goes back to the show he wanted to watch and they're like, we have a second sponsor and he's like, oh, forget <laughs> yes. it. it turns the TV yes. off. <laughs> yes. And those, those problems exist to today. You know, the idea yep. of how many trailers do you have to watch before the movie? Exactly. How long, how many commercials do you have to watch before you get to play the next part of your game or whatever? Um, the, the, the dialogue in this, I had to mention a lot of that stuff. 
Uh, there are just several line deliveries that I love. Um, they're talking about, you know, the average American has two and a half uh, colds. And, and Fran says, well, if I have zero colds, some poor schmuck has five. And the way the way that Jack Lemon just goes, it's me. <laughs> it just, just slays me every single time. Uh, the, uh, the wise joke, the running gag about, you know, doing things, you know, buildings wise, October wise, yes. uh, you know, uh, cookie wise, uh, that stuff plays out so well. Um, the, the subtle acidity that he finds to a way to poke at people while still being a poor schmuck. Uh, like for instance, um, you know, he starts the conversation with Sheldrake in his office. He thinks he's being called into the carpet because what he's doing is wrong. He doesn't realize that Sheldrake actually wants to use the apartment. He thinks right. he's, he's in trouble. Right. And so he says, how many people are doing this? He's like, well, you know, four out of 32,000, right? <laughs> so it's, it's a very small percentage <laughs> of the entire place or whatever. And then later when he finds out Sheldrake is actually wanting to use it, he's like saying, you know, well, can I use it? And he's he says, well, four apples, five apples. What's the difference percentage wise? Mm. Uh, and it's this, there's acid there because what he's saying is originally we talked about these being bad apples. Yep. And now I'm adding you to the bad apple group. Like yep. it's subtle and it's beautiful. And I just, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, the other instance that I wrote down of that is where Sheldrick says something like he's talking about all the things that this woman expects from him to divorce his wife and get remarried or whatever. And he says, is that fair? And, and, uh, and Bud says, no, it's really unfair, especially to your wife. <laughs> and he just, he just slides it in there. Like, it's almost like it's just something that you wouldn't even catch. It's just so unassuming. Um, I love that. Another running gag uh, I like that happens twice. And I like it because so many movies give their actors uh, empty cups is he will gesture with a full cup and the liquid will just come spilling out. He does that a couple times in the movie. Uh, I love that. Um, every story beat in this movie feels so well prepared. Like every movement the movie makes, like the cracked compact reveal mm. is, is an interesting one because we think this is supposed to further tell us about how awful Sheldrake is right? That she threw the compact at him or whatever. And we almost don't realize we're being set up for a reveal when he see, when she offers him the compact later. And so those reveals hit really well because he's like shrouded them in other plot reasons. They mm. all have other plot reasons. Nothing feels convenient or forced. It feels like it, you know, it meshes into the plot really well. And I just think that's such a uh, beautiful talent that, that Wilder has. Um, Another line I loved, you'd think I'd have learned by now when you're in love with a married man, you shouldn't wear mascara. Just a, mm. just a beautiful, beautiful quote. Um, so yeah, there's, there's other stuff I could mention, but that's, that's, I just, I have such a love for this movie. It's, it's so good. I, uh, I'm glad that I was exposed to it and I'm going to revisit it, uh, probably sooner than you might realize. Uh, and yeah. I hope that we exposed some of you viewers and listeners to that movie as well. Uh, and we will never again go back to the 60s. <laughs> nope. We, we checked it off the list. No more movies from the 60s. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. So I was set for my super secret double feature for a good several hours on okay. ordinary people um, just because it deals with suicide attempt, um, depression, mental health, uh, and all that stuff. But there, it was missing a romance element for me that I wanted. I think I told you I, I wrote down that this movie is for people who have ever been broken while in love or in love with broken people. Mm -hmm. I, felt, I feel like that needs to be the core of 
my super secret double feature, which I'm going to tell you, and then I'm, you have to let me explain. Okay. Um, it's almost famous. Mm. Um, <clears throat> here in Almost Famous, we have a main character that's in love with a girl who's a little out of his league, but he knows he's better than the married older guy she's with. The girl sees our guy as just a friend at first because she's in love with the older married gentleman who's just using her for occasional sex. Our guy is also being used by the same older married guy for career purposes, so it's an uneasy mix, the two existences between those worlds. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the older man breaks it off, the girlfriend attempts suicide, but is found and saved by the unrequited love guy who finally tells off the mentor dick and tells the girl that he loves her. Um, <clears throat> and I realize there's a lot going on in Almost Famous beyond just that aspect of the story but that is the core story is that that triangle relationship between him the lead singer and mm -hmm. uh penny lane uh and i just once i got that in my head it became almost a beautiful pairing um in being broken while in love or trying to love somebody who's broken so uh yeah no that's a good choice there you go i like that choice a lot is my uh Super secret double feature. Sorry to the chat. I do think they suggested Promising Young Woman. I think that would have been an interesting one. Yeah, that makes sense. Thematically as well. But again, once it got into my heart, uh, it was all almost famous. Um, <clears throat> would you like to know what next week's homework is, Aaron? Mm, turns out I already know. But let's Shush. tell everybody else. Shush. <laughs> Shush. This is one that I have been Googling since Recotopia began, waiting for it to appear on some kind of service that you wouldn't have to rent. Um, and it finally is. And we're going to watch Steve Martin's Leap of Faith, which is on Pluto.tv, free with ads. It's also on Cinemax, if you have that movie channel or have a premium subscription at another streamer that includes Cinemax. Uh, this is about a traveling uh, revival. Um, and um, it's all for show. Or is it? Or is it? Have you seen this movie, Aaron? uh i have it has been so long yeah um i remember nothing like so good. very little about this movie good um i i was the same way until about five years ago and then i've seen it like four or five times since then and it's gotten stuck in my crawl yeah liam neeson is in it um <clears throat> a lot of great actors meatloaf philip seymour hoffman is in this um and i just find it a very fascinating interesting look at faith um and uh it'll be a nice meaty dive into that kind of topic next time mm -hmm. i believe but before we go mm -hmm. something we need to tell you yes next week's show will be a little different because chris is back baby yes, who's back? back again this is back tell a friend uh chris is coming back everybody uh and he will be a full-time co-host on this show and for a while, we're going to run with the three of us, Aaron and Chris and I. And so I get a we'll, tryout. <laughs> well, it's really, I mean, if people can read between the lines. It's safe enough to assume that at some point in the nearest future, I will take a step away for a while. Uh, and in the meantime, we're going to roll with the three hosts. And uh, so Chris will be back next week to discuss Leap of Faith. And then it'll be his choice for the following week. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, we are very excited to have him back and to have him sharing his opinions. I know he's Indeed. watched a ton of movies in the months that he's been away. Um, thanks again to the chat for coming out this week, as always. Oh, wait, there's still a couple minutes. Let's do a question. Sorry. All right, we can do a question, yeah. Retract my thanks to the chat. Let's do a question real quick. <laughs> question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. I don't thank you yet, chat. Um, you got to earn it. You've still got a few minutes to earn it. Earn it. Uh, let's see. Is there anything that can make or break your movie-going experience outside of the actual film? We talked a little bit about this last week. We hit on mm. some topics. I this is this is an interesting question for me because my answer is everything. Like I, I think we vastly underestimate how what's going on in our personal lives outside of the movie. Everything impacts how we view a movie. I know personally, I have had experiences where I'm having a bad day and I go see a movie and I don't necessarily enjoy it. And I'll watch it later and be like, what was I thinking? This movie's great. You know what I mean? Like the, I, I know for a fact how, how the outside world can, can impact, um, impact that. So for me, probably just the mood I'm in is probably the biggest, uh, impact, uh, on a movie. And yes, there are occasions when a movie can shift my mood, 
that's a great movie. When a movie can like take me from a you know a, a down place to an up place, or even reverse it. Even you know I'm in a great mood and it wants to tell me something serious and it manages to get me there. Like I think that's that's important. But um, but yeah, probably just my mood in general. Yeah, and I I try not to watch a movie if I'm in a bad mood. But sometimes you're like already sitting in the theater when the bad mood strikes because mm-hmm. somebody threw something at you or what have you. But I'm gonna say my biggest one. Um, would be, at least if I'm in a movie theater, a bad presentation on the film. I've spent so much time in the projection booth that if we're not in focus, if we're not in frame, um, if the lamp isn't, you know, past its hours and uh, the audios, Mm -hmm. I mean, any of the presentation stuff, once I notice it, it's it's going to slowly grow into a tumor and, and keep me from being able to enjoy what I'm watching. Um, so yeah, that's probably my answer for that one. Um, yeah. on the chat, let's see. I know that we don't see JC Davis says he stopped watching movies before because he realizes he's not the right mood for them now. That makes sense. Uh, my bicycle was stolen right before attending a class screening of bicycle thieves. <laughs> but that's true. Uh, how poetic. That's gotta be awful. a joke. That's gotta be a joke. That's amazing. Oh, that would suck. Um, couple times I failed to enjoy a movie because I was I expected to watch a different movie. Yeah, that almost happened to me with The Apartment. I was going to say, that's this one. <clears throat> All right, let's do one more question, and then we'll thank the chat, uh, and we'll say goodbye. If um, they deserve it. Not a movie question. That's okay. We're not restricted to just movies on no. this podcast. But what would you say are some of the definitive classic novels? Mm, this, is, this is difficult uh, for me because... I don't read books. Um, that is something I gave up for Lent a while back, and have just never. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Um... Yeah, I gave up sex for Lent for like twenty years. <laughs> um, I think classics makes it a little better for me because I think for me it would be those definitive school classics that I read. Um, I think of stuff like Bridge to Terabithia, uh, Where the Red Fern Grows, Tuck Everlasting, probably Tuck Everlasting. I really liked uh, Tuck Everlasting, uh, and it has kind of stood the the test of time. Um, the the only non-school assigned book I would put in this category that I think everybody should read is Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I mm-hmm. think that is genius comedy writing uh, that he is doing in that. And I've read all of the, the other books around it, um, and they're great. They're fun, but the OG Hitchhiker's Guide is is so good. Um, so yeah, that's that's. I, I read mentioned. that and loved it. Uh, I read them all. Um, my brother went through a phase. A phase. My brother reads like crazy. My entire family: my mom, my dad, my brother, my wife. They all read hundreds of books a year. Mm-hmm. I I spend time I would be reading. I spend writing. So I I traded. For Lent. Um, but my brother went through a thing maybe 15 years ago where he decided to read a bunch of classic novels that had never been assigned in school. And he was just buying, you know, 10 cent paperbacks at, you know, Goodwill or whatever. And then he would send them to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hated so many of them. <laughs> I, I hated The Catcher in the Rye. I hated The Great Gatsby. Um, but I loved Fahrenheit 451. That's probably my favorite classic literature that I've read. Uh, I also liked Of Mice and Men. That was assigned in school, though, so I haven't read that in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lord of the Flies, I really like, but I, I think I've mentioned this before on a podcast, but my seventh grade teacher ruined that book for me because she signed mm. it, handed it out, and said, now I'm going to tell you, the story that you read on those pages is not the story. There's another story underneath that story. <laughs> Instead of just saying this book is full of symbolism, like right, yeah. I kept looking for a literal second story underneath the story. <laughs> oh, poor what Jeremy! What the book is trying to say is humans are terrible. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, I can't find it. I can't find I'm the second story. <laughs> I can't see the image by crossing my eyes. And that <laughs> oh no. Um. All right, everybody. Uh, flowers for all Algernon. Thumbs up for hitchhikers. A Night to Remember. That's got to be a Titanic thing. Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Shakespeare's at Where the Red Fern Grows. Gotcha. Feel the same uh-huh. way. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you to the chat, as always, for coming out and participating. It was quite lively today, and that was really fun to see. Um, hope that you guys will have a chance to get to Leap of Faith before next Tuesday. Uh, and uh, to everyone else listening, that's your homework, Leap of Faith. And that'll do it for Aaron Dicer. This is Jeremy Scott. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com how you been good i'm cold right now why um because it's cold down here uh we have been experimenting with making actual fires in our fireplace right which is nice because it saves money on electricity on running the heat on those kind of things but it doesn't heat up the whole house it Mm. just heats up the rooms around the fireplace right so like the second you go downstairs you're like Oh yeah, it's really cold down here. Oh no, it's, it's like you know, fifty-seven degrees or whatever down here. Oh uh, no! But you don't think about it till you walk. Uh, I don't think about it until I walk down the stairs. So, so you should put yeah. on like a hat or something. <laughs> no, no. Are you not a hat guy? Well, I, I, I don't mind wearing a hat, um, but I don't. I, I have never felt warmer because I wore a hat. Oh, that's why it doesn't. That doesn't make me feel warmer. You realize that defies reason. science, right? Correct. Most of the heat leaves through the head, like right. is is what I understand. You just don't notice um, the effect yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think you're placeboing your, yourself there. You're outsmarting <laughs> your body. I messaged you in the not work chat, but I didn't tag you. But they just extended the Daniel Ratcliffe, Jonathan Groff, Merrily We Roll Along until July. Oh, I knew it was through March. I didn't know they had gone all the way through July. In uh, in Groff and Radcliffe are going to stick around that long? Oh, uh, that was the indication according to the article I read. <clears throat> wow. I know you said That's something about cool. hoping you could see it. Maybe Netflix will fly your ass out there and you can go <laughs> yeah. see it. They're in the habit of just flying people to see Broadway shows. There have been so many shows that have come and gone that I'm just like, oh, I wish I could have gone and seen that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, it's just, you know. Whatever. I mean, that's that and food are really the only benefits New York has for me personally. Mm-hmm. The food scene, I could spend my entire life and not get through all the good restaurants in New York uh, right? and see in Broadway shows. Just because when those shows come to places like Nashville, it's always a new cast. Mm-hmm. And God love them. They're, they're not on the touring cast bec- because... They're good enough for the Broadway stage, <laughs> right? I like seeing Broadway shows, but I also know I'm going to be packed into a tiny room with 500 other people. Um, yeah, that doesn't bother me. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I could get an incredible cheeseburger from, you know, uh, Shake Shack and love it. And it's... You know, you know, eight bucks, seven bucks, or whatever. And so, like, the practicality of I could feed myself with something delicious for eight bucks, or I could feed myself with something delicious for a hundred bucks. <laughs> like, it's not a choice. I mean, it, it isn't, it isn't. I know you and I have shared two meals that are probably uh-huh. lifetime memory meals. Yes. That may not be more noticeably delicious than Mm -hmm. a Shake Shack cheeseburger. (laughs) But anyone can go get that Shake Shack cheeseburger. So there's an exclusivity to it? Yeah. Well, the menu we had at both of those places was different than the next meal they cooked for somebody else. That's the way those kitchens work. So that was a a very exclusive. um, But anyway, we don't differ anywhere near as much as we're making it sound like we do. because I no, love... I don't think so. I loved those experiences. It's just a matter of 
you know, and, and everybody's in everybody's in a different place financially, too, which for some people, this conversation is going to sound completely ridiculous. For some people, this conversation is going to be like, how do you spend money on either of those things? Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to keep the heat on those kind of things. And I've been in that place like I've I've lived where we're living, you know, uh, heating bill to heating bill. Um, so, you know, it's it's just everybody's in a different place, but it's hard to shake like that feeling of just because I have the money to do something, what is what is valuable enough as an experience that that makes the that investment worthwhile for my personal betterment for the betterment of my family you know all of those kind of things yep. it's it's tricky I it's mean interesting no I feel ashamed I, I recognize <laughs> no, that, no, no, that I'm was not the intent in a place of privilege to be able to eat really good food now and then yeah well I'm on I'm on both ends of the spectrum to be honest like I love really good food at nice restaurants. I blame Top Chef for that. But I love mm-hmm. really cheap frozen banquet pot pies from the supermarket. Like, mm-hmm. I bought at Publix, they have, like, a deli pot pie. I don't know if you have Publix anywhere near you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. They have small and, and huge chicken pot pies in the deli. I've r- read raves about them online. So I bought one the other day, and I cooked it, and I ate it. And my wife was like, how was it? And I was like, you know, it's probably measurably better in every way, but I didn't like it as much as I like those banquet pot pies I've been eating for 40 <laughs> That's years. Right. It just, it, it's never going to come close to it. I can have the finest pot pie made by Colonel Sanders himself, then it's not going to come close to that stuff that I used to eat so much of. Those banquet pot pies that you open and they're like, cut an X in the top of them, yes. and you're like, it's frozen. Yes. Like, I'm trying. Yes. I can't. And I can't half the time you X. chip off the top of the crust when you're trying to. Yes, <laughs> right, I love yes. those things. I love them. 